thing to think about the trust that God has given us and really the dangers of this world, how, how there really is still slavery. We're going to explain that week one, how there really still is slavery and not just, you know, in the third world or in the sex slave trade. All those things are certainly true, but the average American finds themselves in a deep bondage where they work so many hours per month before they begin to work their first hour for the things that they have dreams in their hearts to do. So we're going to be helping you guys grasp the biblical concepts of stewardship. Somebody said, so is this a giving series? No, it, it really is not. It's, it's positioning us um, as individuals, as families. There will be generosity included. There always is. I, you can't talk about agriculture without talking about seeds. Come on, we're on the radio. They think you're a lot more spiritually amen, stuff like that. It makes you look better when they can't see us, you know. Actually, I'm best looking on the radio from what I understand. So... Uh, good morning, Freedom Center. Glad to see you today. Everybody say today. We're finishing 12 weeks of studying from Genesis and now all the way to Revelation. I want to thank Pastor Carl for his work. Uh, it's been a wonderful summer for me. I've had a liberty to kind of speak every other week, which has been really weird and strange. And, but to be honest with you, I got used to it. I looked at the upcoming weeks. It's like, I'm speaking every week for the next like, like 10 weeks. So that was disturbing and wonderful again. Um, we've already heard about the other stuff. So let's talk about the book of Revelation. You guys doing good? Revelation, by the way, it's not plural. It's not the book of Revelations. It is Galatians, Thessalonians, you know, Philippians, but Revelation. And really what it is, the word Revelation is the word apocalypse. And what it means is unveiling. So you think about apocalypse, you think, ooh, apocalyptic means nuclear war and all that kind of stuff. Potentially that's true. But what's happening here is the book of the Revelation is, that means unveiling. Like God is showing one guy named John, this is what will happen soon and this is what will happen to conclude the end of all time. So this is, uh, you, you got to think of the book of Revelation as a Lamaze class for the second coming of Christ. Does that make sense to anybody besides me? So Lamaze class. It's not birth. It's like, okay, you're going to feel this, you're going to feel what the doctors say, some pressure, which means you're going to be torn in half by your child, right? Uh, some pressure, and, and at this point, we want you to breathe a certain way, and this is normal, and the contractions will go from this far apart to this, and the water, and the epidural, and, the, and then it wah, and cottage cheese, bloody baby, and your arms, and happy moment crying, and call grandma. Everybody understand where I'm coming from or no? All right, good. What was that noise? That was weird. Okay. Are we diving a submarine or something? What is that? You hear it too, right? I just want to make sure. Okay, it's somebody's cell phone probably. If it is, the, the spaceship seems to be crashing. So, um, so this is what, what John describes it as, because the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Christ. Blessed, everybody say blessed. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. I'm being blessed right now. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it. You guys are blessed too. Uh, and, and, by the way, take it to heart uh, what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, John um, we hope, we think, this is John, uh, Jesus' disciple, the one Jesus loved, head on the breast, Last Supper, uh, who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. But it is possible, we just had to be intellectually honest, that this is another John that would have been a contemporary to the John that Jesus loved, one of the 12 disciples, um, who was also a messianic or Jewish prophetic Christian who had this vision. It's written somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s A.D., and it's written on the island of Patmos. There's a nice vacation spot for you right there, huh? That's about seven miles from the southern tip all the way around to the northeastern tip. 
And as you notice, there's no farms on it. It's in the middle of the Aegean Sea. It is a touristy spot today. You can see it on, the, on the, 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 the middle island, if you will, all those white things. Those are buildings. It looks down over a bay. But when John was there, it was basically, think Alcatraz. It was a Roman prison colony. Um, it was one of those places you did not want to go to. John evidently was placed there, history tells us, because as Rome tried to execute him by boiling him in oil, it didn't work. How many guys know what you do with a guy that won't die? You put him in Alcatraz. You, you, right? We don't know what to do. Like, we don't know how to kill him. Uh, we, we committed, he committed a crime. Uh, the crime was treason against the, the emperor. He needs to be executed. They boil him in oil. He comes out smelling like a french fry. They're like, okay, but you're not dead. So we, we have sentenced you. We've done the sentence, but you're still not dead. So they said, well, let's just put him on the Isle of Patmos where he can rot. How many of you guys know Jesus never wastes a thing? So he didn't rot. He wrote. Because of that first, second, third John, the book of Revelation, potentially the gospel of John, depending on who this is. So we're going to look at major sections of this book written. And uh, the number one here is it's a specific message to seven churches in Asia Minor. So uh, all these different churches that he's going to write a specific message to. If you want to read those, chapters one through three talks about it. And some people would speculate that maybe it's not just those seven churches, but maybe as much of Scripture is multifaceted. So it means something on the surface, but it also has a deeper meaning as time goes on. Potentially, it's describing the seven church ages. So the first church is persecuted as the apostolic church was. The last church, the biggest struggle they had, Laodicea, was lukewarmness. I would say it's one of the main things I struggle with, we struggle with today. Yeah, you didn't mean that a little bit harder, but you're lukewarm. So what we're saying is, is there's that maybe some people see it that way. And again, it is an interpretive book, prophetic scripture we'll get in just a minute. You understand why we're interpreting this, why we can take it at face value. But often by taking it at face value, we, we may miss, like Jesus' parables, what it means. Maybe there's more to this than just face value. So um, it is a, a vision of the judgments of God to come before Jesus' return. Talks about seals that are undone, the, the wax things are on a scroll so a scroll can be read. It talks about seven bowls that will be poured out, seven trumpets that will sound, and, and each one progressively, dear God, worse. Uh, we're talking about uh, battles that have blood up to a horse's bridle filling a valley. We're talking about armies of 100 million people coming together uh, for war and being annihilated in a single battle. It talks about um, things falling out of the heaven and lighting like the earth on fire. It talks about a third of the sea being destroyed by a single incident. And remember, when this is written, there's no such thing as an H-bomb or an A-bomb. Today, we can go, well, I, I think I might know what button to press to make that happen. But when John did, it's like, yeah, a third of the earth will be consumed by fire. You're like, oh, come on, you got to be nuts. But today, we're like, listen, we got enough, you know, nuclear weapons around the world to make the entire world go up in flames. Yeah, so it, it's an interesting thing. It talks about the rapture of the church. And for those of you who aren't new to that, you're new to that, that thought, there is a thing in Thessalonians and other prophetic writings where it talks about a moment where the righteous being sealed by God will be, will be taken up, caught up quickly, and it's called the rapture of the church. There are several theories around when this might happen on the prophetic timeline of mankind. Some say it's before the tribulation period where these bulls are poured out and these trumpets are sounded and, and all these wars and pestilence takes place. Some believe it's in the middle of of that three and a half years into a seven year what's called tribulation period you can look all this stuff up don't look it up on the internet look it up in your bible or you'll end up as weird as the people that write on the internet okay <clears throat> just read your bible god wrote it god can teach you what it means 
Okay, I'm old-fashioned that way. Jesus is a great teacher still, right? Um, some believe in a post-tribulation rapture. In other words, we go through the entire seven years of hell on earth, the judgment of God being poured out, and then the end comes. Jesus returns and so forth. Some believe in what's called kingdom now uh, theology, where the world's going to get better and better and more and more the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, until heaven comes to earth. Um, I personally, some people say, Jim, what do, you, what do you believe? This is what I believe. I believe in, in not pre, mid, post, or kingdom now. I, I actually believe what's called the pan-tribulation theory. I just believe it's all going to pan out in the end. And, and what, what the benefit of that to me is this. I, uh, I'm going to be ready when Jesus returns. Because I don't know if it's today. I don't know if it's halfway into a tribulation period, at the end of a tribulation period. I need to prepare my body, my soul, my spirit to go through whatever hell will be unleashed on this earth at any given moment. And I think one of the dangerous things that has happened in even Christian history is we went to China and we started seeing people converted to Christ and we taught them, hey, don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about government. Don't worry about yourself. Don't worry about even saving for retirement. Like, like it's going to be okay because Jesus is coming soon. And what happened was Jesus didn't come. The communist government came. And they went through a period of tribulation, not the tribulation period, but a period of tremendous torture and violence and imprisonment. And one of the things the Chinese government used against their people was, if there was a Jesus, he would have come by now, right? But you're going through this. This is the tribulation period. They actually, they actually kind of leveraged their faith. People renounced their faith because it didn't happen the way they were taught. So I'm going to teach you to hold on to Jesus no matter what happens. Amen? So... Uh, it's, it's pretty crazy stuff. Uh, it talks about the destruction, the justice of all fallen things, the restoration of God's original plan for the, for the kingdom on earth, Genesis chapter 1 uh, through chapter 3, the creation of all things, the fall of mankind, Revelation, the other bookend of this chronologically, we get to Revelation 19 through 22, and it's almost the opposite. It's the destruction of all fallen things and the resurrection of a heaven that gets to last forever. Amen. So it's kind of the anti-Genesis. It's the, what, what man did, what God did about what man did. We get to go back to the Garden of Eden, if you will. It's a vision of, of what heaven will be like for eternity, and it's crazy, and it's wild. And for those of you that don't like loud music, lights, or crowds, you're not going to like heaven. Because it, it, makes, it makes a Mercy Me concert look like uh, a slog through the mud. It, it makes the highest worship we know look like just some three-year-old picking his nose in preschool. It, it makes everything on this earth that's amazing, it's, it pales in comparison to what's going to be happening in the presence of God. It talks about uh, the new Jerusalem, or we would call heaven. This is the streets of gold, and the you get a mansion, and you get a mansion makes Oprah's cars look pale, and you get a car, and you get a car. Jesus says, and you get a mansion, you get a mansion. Understand this, God created everything through words in six days and rested on the seventh. That is my faith. But let me also say this, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this earth and all of its grandeur, splendor, beauty, and intricacy took six days and that's taken over 2,000 years, how many guys know that what we're living in now is nothing compared to what Jesus is preparing for us? Matter of fact, the Bible says, says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has in store for those who long for his appearing. Guys, let me tell you something. Heaven's a neat place. The gates of heaven, there's 12 gates. The number seven and 12 appears all over Revelation. There's 12 gates. Each gate is made from a single pearl. How many guys know, like, like you had like a kidney stone? Imagine what that clam went through, right? You know what I mean? I mean, it, and they're massive. And this is going to blow your mind. Remember, this is God, not man, okay? The city is 1,200 miles long. It's from here to Tampa, Florida. It's 1,200 miles wide, which is from here to, I don't know, the Denver, maybe? And here, hear me out. It's 1,200 miles tall. 
Foursquare. You go, that's impossible. Oh, yeah? This is the God who made the Grand Canyon by, like, sneezing. It's an amazing place. It describes all those things. And the other thing that I saw, there's the wedding supper of the Lamb. So how many guys are glad there's going to be food without calories? Hallelujah in heaven. There's no temple in, in heaven because you're there with Jesus. The, the radiance of God itself permeates every physical structure. There's not even shadows in heaven. That's how bright it is. It shines through the walls. There's nothing to be hidden. There's no shame. There, there's, there's no strife. There's no IRS. There's no, there's no, you know, tomorrow that isn't filled with the glories and the hopes of eternity. It really is a good place. We're going to talk about a little bit more. I think one of the neatest things that's there is just, there's worship. Unfettered, angel-led worship. How many of you guys like worship? I, I, I love good worship, man. I love our worship team and the places they lead us. To take a song really from the pages of the book we're studying today and, and lead us in that. You're worthy of it all and day and night and night and day. And I mean, that, that's, a, that's a sniff. That's a fragrance. That's not the meal. That's, that's the fragrance of the meal. It's a deposit. It's a really small deposit of what God is guaranteeing. So we get to worship the Lord all eternity. No interruption. No fatigue. Grab a coney dog. Don't get fat. The whole, the whole thing. It's awesome. Crystal Sea, and I'm convinced as, as a person who knows the love of God personally, that in the Crystal Sea, there's largemouth bass weighing at least 10 pounds. It is fresh water. I can prove that because bass don't live in salt water. So I have a few things here of my own. So why is there so much confusion then and controversy about the book of Revelation? I, I think it's got some scary stuff in it. Anytime it's anything scary, it can be used in a way that it shouldn't be. Anybody ever gotten scared by... Jesus is coming soon. You better not be in a movie house when he gets here. Would you drive like that if Jesus were coming? It's like I'm inspiring faith on the roads everywhere I go. People are calling on the name of the Lord just watching me drive, you know. I drive by faith, not by sight. It's in the book of Romans. You'll see that there. Being silly. Um, but there's some scary stuff in there, guys. And, it, and it's like people like scary stuff. Um, I've been guilty of this early on in my, my ministry. I didn't have a sermon, so I just used scary stuff, and, and I'm going to use the wrong phrase. Uh, I'm going to use it poorly, and please understand my heart. You cannot scare hell out of people or the out of people, right? So being afraid of, of going to hell is not why we should follow Jesus. Any more than being afraid of the father's shotgun is why you should get married, there, there's a romance, there's, a, there's an intimacy, there's a blessed union, there's a love, there's a passion from the groom to the bride, and for us to be engaged in this covenant relationship because you're preferable to hell, <laughs> like, like, do you want to marry me? Well, I don't want to go to hell, so yeah, so what's the least I got to do before I'm in trouble? Like, that's, that's not what this is. This is, I will take you for better and worse and richer and poorer and sickness and health. I choose you. I prefer you. I'm honored by you, and I honor you with everything that I am. You know what I'm saying? So, um, it, it's, uh, it, it's scary stuff. Another thing is it's, it's figurative and sometimes literal language. I don't know if Jesus comes back with a sword coming out of his mouth 
or if that's symbolic of the words that he's, he has will be cutting, like it talks about the word of God right now. Ephesians talks about the word of God being the sword of the spirit. That could be him quoting scripture. That could literally be a guy on a white horse with his name written on his thigh in blood, wearing a white robe, eyes like fire, hair like snow, sort of coming out of his mouth. Like either that's a, a you know, Spielberg's freaking out thinking about it. You know what I mean? Sort of a, an imagery or that's all analogy. And because we don't know, um, it, it's, you know, it's why it causes controversy. Some people are literists, like, I'm literal, this is when it happens, how it happens, it's the way I look, and they draw pictures of it. Other people are like, it's figurative language, like a parable, and it isn't really somebody giving you talents. It's, it's, it isn't somebody literally planting seeds. It's our words are seeds, our gifts are seeds. The abilities God gives you are these, these measurements of gold, etc. Another reason that it's confusing and causes controversy is it's prophecy. Everybody say prophecy. Now, prophecy is kind of a, an interesting thing. Um, Jesus, as he confronts the Pharisees, the Pharisees, as they confront Jesus, is a great example. The old dudes in, in this memorized every messianic prophecy frontwards, backwards, and sideways. Over 300 different messianic prophecies. The Messiah, the Son of Man, the coming of the age, the, the end of time. They knew all of it. They literally had memorized everything in Ezekiel and Isaiah and Genesis. Chapter 3 is the first messianic prophecy that, that he will bruise your heel, but you're going to crush the serpent's head. There's someone coming. Uh, the, the animal skins that were placed on Adam and Eve. There was the death of the innocent to cover the shame of the guilty and the blood that was on those skins. It's just from the very beginning, there's been this prophetic, someone's coming, someone's coming, someone's coming, someone's coming. And then when Jesus came, those who memorized every prophecy looked at him, and most thought he was the devil. Come on, are you still here? So what I'm trying to say is this, looking backwards over prophecy, you look at like the 300 prophetic verses about the Messiah, there's things that are impossible, like one would have been enough, born of a virgin, like that doesn't happen statistically. You know, born in Bethlehem, there's lots of people born in Bethlehem. This, you know, being a descendant of David, you know, thousands, millions of people, descendants of David. But born of a virgin, that's kind of a small group. You know? So, but Jesus fulfills all of these prophecies, the fulfillment of prophecy, the word of God in flesh looks exactly like, you know, he's supposed to, born where he's supposed to, says what he's supposed to, doing what he's supposed to, all the prophetic verses point right at it, and they look at it and go, yeah, you're the devil. Why? Because they did something that's pretty common. They looked at all the dots of individual prophecies. And let me just, let's just play a game. How many of you guys, if I had a Snickers bar, it's about 396 dots and various fractions that are up there about the number of prophecies about the Messiah. And I were to say to you, listen, the first person that can connect those dots to build a house gets a Snickers bar. How many of you guys would have that done in less than 10 seconds? You could build a house out of those dots. You could just, you know, boom, 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 Snickers. The rest of you that are a little slow, like you're not going anywhere for a while, Eat a Snickers. Bring a Snickers with you, right? If I were to say, listen, I want, to, I want you to build a cross out of that. How many guys can build a cross out of connecting those dots? Come on, let me see your hand. You can do this, all right? Then this is the problem with, with looking backwards over prophecy. We see where the dots connected, and we see Jesus clearly as the fulfillment of those scriptures. But when you're looking forward through prophecy, you're looking at dots. Are you still here? This is why we've got legitimate, genius-level Bible teachers that utterly disagree with how this world is going to end, where it's going to end, Who's going to be involved when it's ending? Why? Because you're connecting dots. And here's what I've really struggled with my whole life. The first time I studied Revelation, it was taught to me from a certain viewpoint. And I cannot help but see the house amongst the dots, even though I said, no, there's a bird. Look for the bird. I don't see a bird. I see a house. Why? Because that's what I was trained to see. I like to study Revelation with junior high school and high school students because they have a fresh vision of it, and they actually know more about the book reading it the first time than a lot of scholars do reading it for the thousandth time. Why? Because they have a childlike faith. 
They're not questioning this. They're, they're reading it. They're absorbing knowledge. And I say, now, what do you see? And they go, well, I see a bird. And I go, show me the bird. <laughs> you know? All I can see is the house. Is the bird in the house? Is the house on top of the bird? I don't, I don't, how is, it, is the bird on top of the house? I don't understand. But by studying this with an open mind, open heart, you begin to connect dots. Now, here's what I want you to be careful of, guys. Um, if you want to find an angry God in the book of Revelation, there's an angry God in the book of Revelation. You want to find a merciful God, there's a merciful God in the book of Revelation. If you're looking for one outside of the other, you will find what you're looking for. The Pharisees were looking for Jesus or the Messiah to be a conquering Moses-like figure that would kick the Romans out of the promised land and restore it. So when he shows up and he's not playing by their rules, not what they expected, they say he's the devil. Because a lot of people that don't see what they want to see in Scripture call everybody that doesn't believe what they believe the devil. Come on. So I'm saying this to you. Be very careful about looking forward through these dots and saying with great assurance what you see. This is what I see. I see Jesus is coming back soon. I see that there's going to be really difficult times before Jesus comes back, and we've got to be ready for it. This is the point. It's, it's confusing because it's hard not to see what we, what we were taught to see or what we want to see as we look forward in the process. What are the major questions, guys? You know, when is Jesus returning? Uh, <laughs> when's he coming back, Jim? Well, Thursday. Get ready. How do I know? Right? And the Bible says that. But about that day or hour that Jesus returns, that no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, and this is Jesus saying this, on earth as he was in bodily form, he says, I don't even know. Like the Father hadn't shared it with me. But only the Father. So be on your guard. Be alert. You don't know when that time will come. It's like a man going away and he leaves his house and puts his servants, that's us, in charge, each with their assigned task and tells uh, the one at the door to keep watch. Now, therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Part of this is not knowing. So we was wasting all this time, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. We're not supposed to know. We're supposed to live like it's today. We're supposed to live like it's not in our lifetime. Which one's right? Yes. Right? So whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. We're supposed to be as a church actively engaged in this mission. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Here's the word. Ready? Say it with me. He says to, here's another common question. Like, what's the mark of the beast? You know, we were hearing about these different implanted chips and you can put, don't worry, you can put it in your, your right hand or your forehead. It's like, that sounds really familiar, <laughs> you know, and you can't buy or sell without biometric chips. And, and the other one goes along with this, what does 666 mean? Some of you guys are even nervous that I have the number 666 up there. How many of you guys, if your license plate came back 666, you want a new license plate? Or you just, you know, hope you're driving a really big car, you can nickname the beast, right? <laughs> what are these things? Here it is, it, and this is the beast now. Um, this thing, and not it, not him, but it. There, there's something that, that is an it that's not a him. There's a system, there's a machine, there's a thought, there's a philosophy, there, there's, a, there's a economics, there, but it's not a person, it's a, it's a thing. It, the beast, also forced all the people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. That's what he says. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. So, um, Remember that the environment in which this is written, remember that Romans 13 has already been written. Now, this, let me explain that. Are you guys doing okay? You guys give me two more minutes? How many guys give me two more minutes? Let me see your hand. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. Good. The, 
the Romans chapter 13, Paul says, be subject to governing authorities. This, we're not causing a rebellion. If Jesus comes in his kingdom, then he will be king. But we're not here to have revolutions. We're not here to make Rome great again. We're not, we're not here to overthrow thrones and Caesars. We're here to be, be model citizens in a temporary life, preparing for an eternal life. Does that make sense? So Romans 13 is written, it's known. So he comes and goes, I'm going to tell you what this is all about, but I'm not going to do it in such a way that makes everybody who reads this get executed. So Roman, I'm sorry, Roman, you would know this. Roman numerals are also letters. Do you guys recognize that? So when you see the Super Bowl, it's, it's all letters, but it's a number, right? Super Bowl 33, XXXIII3, right, 33. In the same way, the Hebrew alphabet also doubled for numbers. And so there are letters that spell certain words that add up to the number 666, such as Emperor Nero. Nero, the emperor, Nero emperor, Emperor Nero adds up to 666 in Hebrew letters. And this is what a lot of people, and I would go along with this, would say, is that Nero was a, a foreshadowing of a beast-like or um, a, a dictator that thought he was God that executed anyone who had opinions otherwise. I've been to Rome where just from here to the end of the driveway was Nero's palace where he took our brothers and sisters, early Christians, dipped them in tar, crucified them, and lit them on fire to light his garden parties. He used them as torches. Uh, bad dude, right? And uh, another thing that adds up to 666 is the word beast. And so you can see where it may be a mysterious thing, but it may not be. I've heard people say, um, what is it? Uh, Barack Obama is the beast, and Pope Francis is the beast, and, you know, uh, the guy that played for Chicago was the beast. And I, I think what's really being said, if you just asked me to kind of give my opinion, which nobody did, and yet I'm going to give it anyway. Um, the mark of the beast and the number of the beast lead us to see that, that a national military or economic success where we are the super uh, power, we are the country, we are the nation. This is all throughout history, not just biblical history, but all throughout history. Once they get to that place, there's almost a worship to this that is insisted upon. Does that make sense? Okay, let me just be careful I say this the right way. I am a patriot. I am a nationalist. I believe that when I raise my right hand to, to protect the Constitution and the citizenry of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that's an oath I, I swore to God, and I'll, I'll, I'll die for your right to have free speech and disagree with that, but that's, that's, that's what I want. I, I believe in America. However, Donald Trump is my president, but Jesus Christ is my king. Does that make sense? And by the way, Ronald Reagan was my president when I served in the military. Barack Obama was my president. Hillary Clinton would have been my president. Yeah, I know it's hard on some of you, but just, there's going to be an altar call. you may be delivered from that later on, okay? Like, what I'm saying is this. Like, we're under, Romans 13, we're under authority. And by the way, we choose this authority every November. So do a better job. <laughs> okay, right? So I, by saying that, we have to be careful that America doesn't become like the only real country in the world. And those who are opposed to America deserve to die a traitor's death. Like, like be very careful because that's, I believe, what the beast... It demands, and I think we have to be careful how we play that out. And you look throughout history, guys, the first beast we see in Scripture is Babylon. If you don't worship the, the idols on the plains of Dura, you know, in the shape of the king, three Hebrew children thrown in the fiery furnace, we see it in Persia. We see it later on in Greece, and then in this day, Rome. Beyond that, we saw it in Hitler's Germany. You understand what I'm talking about now? It's modern history, not ancient history. We, see it in, we saw it in Russia in the days of Stalin. We, see it, we saw it in the days of uh, Iraq. 
uh, with Hussein, and we see it today with Kun who is the dictator. And, and, you know, anybody that comes from North Korea and they're going to stand up and give a speech, they, they, they go to attention, they're like, what is he doing? He's saying, you know, praise be, all, all honor and glory to our fearless leader. Who And they do this loud declaration of praise and allegiance to a man who is a dictator who's brutalizing and starving his own people. So once a nation or nations or individual demands allegiance or death, bad things always seem to happen. Why? Because men were not created to be worshipped. And I want to close today with... Um, this, this thought, because we're out of time. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, I love this, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Now, look at verse 4. He, God himself, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And behold, he who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And he, God himself, will wipe every tear from their eyes. Say, Jim, tell me about the book of Revelations. All right, there's creatures with eyes in their armpits, and they fly around, and there's elders with crowns, and they worship, and it's really loud, and it's bright, and there's peals of thunder, and it's freaky. It gives Spielberg nightmares. It's, it's about an eternity that we can't fathom and a surrounding we can't fathom with a God in, in bodily present form 24-7, even though there'll be no more 24 and there'll be no more 7, because time has no meaning that we can't fathom. But this is, this is to me, please hear me, this is what heaven is. I, I want to ask for everybody to consider this question. Is anybody here right now experiencing your life or maybe experiencing your life something that is bigger than you are, that is really, really breaking your heart? It's painful, it's scary, it's physical, it's spiritual, it's emotional. Can I, can I see your hand? Anytime in your life, okay. What makes heaven heaven is not streets of gold and 1,200-mile-long buildings. What makes heaven heaven is this. I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day. She had a close, dear family member, a parent, pass away, and she cannot envision a future. You know, it's, it's her parent. It's her mom. And you know, every day she's ever known anything, she's known her mom, and now her mom's gone. And she said these words. She said, Pastor Jim, I, I'm, it's bothering me because I know the Bible says that God won't allow me to go through anything beyond what I can bear. But I'll be honest with you, I, this is breaking me into a million pieces. I don't think I can bear this. And I said, you know, I, that's talking about temptation. There's a temptation. God won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But I, I, I will say from experience, there's a pain that's beyond what I can bear that I've experienced many times in life. And you've got to remember this too. Every one of our stories ends in death. In this life, four to five dentists recommend sugarless gum for the patients who choose gum, but 10 out of 10 Americans will die someday. So be encouraged. Go home. <laughs> and I, I tell you what, as a police officer, as a soldier, as a pastor, 
my family and I have had a front row seat to the misery of mankind, to the, the broken vows and the broken lives and the broken legs, the young father that dies in front of his family, the child that's brutally tortured for three days by his mother's boyfriend, and you walk into the hospital, and his eyes are swollen shut, and his brain swollen. There's not that much space on his body that isn't burned, cut, or bruised. The train that hit the three-year-old, and she went flying into the snow, and three days later died. The, the miscarriages, and the, never mind. You guys still with me? I don't know how I'm going to leave this life. Being done crying over that. I'll just be really honest with you. Just to even talk about it now. I want to go sit on my therapist's couch for an hour and just ball. You know? But he's so expensive, I'm going to do it here for free. <laughs> so we are going to leave this life with unresolved pain. But I want you to know something. Something happens in the first instant of you walking into the presence of God, those of you who know Jesus. And he, God himself, shall wipe with his hand every tear from your eyes. And there'll be no more crying. And there'll be no more pain. And there'll be no more disappointment. And there'll be no more heartbreak. I'm, I'm just trying to say this. This vaporous, instantaneous shadow of a reality life comes and goes so quick. And if you're young, that doesn't make sense. But if you're over 50, you get it. If you're over 70, you're almost there. You know what I mean? The older you get, the faster it goes. True or false, old people? Huh? Never mind, right? True. I'm just saying this to you. I'm going to leave this earth in tears. I'm going to run into the middle of the pain. I'm going to have pain of my own. I'm going to hold hands with people that are dying. I'm going to, I'm going to counsel people in the middle of the night whose husbands came home and said, I just left you. I'm going to, we're going to be a part of this, yes? But at the end of this, in the beginning of what is next, there will be a hand. I don't know what my last thought will be, but I know what my next thought will be. It's the hand. I don't know what Jesus gives us at that moment, but I know that in that moment, whatever pain we suffer, this light and momentary affliction, Paul says, is not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed on that day. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Thanks for being in the middle of all the mess and all the starvation and all the disease and the Messiah in Africa and the divorce in Fenton and the tragedy in Argentine and the thanks for being... My, my hands and my feet in the middle of it. Guys, don't avoid pain. Charge it. But it's too much. I can't take it. Yeah. You can heap it on your Savior and someday your Savior will... Whatever you're going through, let me give you hope. It's temporary. Mark Lowry. Stand to your feet, please. Mark Lowry, a musician, comedian, he said this. My favorite verse in the Bible is this. I'll leave you with this thought. He said, And it came to pass... That's it. He says, I just heard that. I said, thank God, because it felt like it came to stay. I don't care what you're going through right now. It didn't come to stay. It can't stay. There's a hand that's waiting for you and a vaporous amount of time between where you are now and your last heartbeat, where the hand will be on your face. We're going to live until then. We're going to fight until then. We're going to breathe. and We're not going to quit. But in that moment, we're going to fall down exhausted. And we're going to hear, well done, good, faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now enter into your rest. And we're going to look at a city that's 1,250 miles tall, 1,250 miles wide, 1,250 miles long. We're going to find our place in a city with no shadows, with a Savior who has no end, and a place where time has no meaning. And we'll begin to, in those moments, digest 
what heaven really is. And it will, hear me, it will all be worth it. Don't let go of Jesus. Whatever you're going through now, you can be mad at him. You can say, I don't understand this. You can hold your breath. You can kick. You can scream. You can throw a fit. It worked when you were three and you got a Snickers bar in Kmart. This could still work. But I think, I think God's raised enough kids by now. He knows when to give us a spanking and when to give us a blessing. Close your eyes. Father, if we need a spanking or a blessing, give it to us. Because in the end, we want to finish the race. We want to fight the fight. We want to keep the faith. Let our praise have a no matter whatness attached to it. Let our faith have a no matter whatness attached to it. And God, there's anybody here that doesn't know you. Heaven is not streets of gold and crystal seas. Heaven is you. A trillion years from now, streets of gold will be what we walk on. A sea will be what we swim in. A city will be where we live. The one thing that will not become common through eternity will be you. The infinite, all-knowing, almighty, glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. Never going to get exhausted. Never going to get tired. Never going to know everything about you. Jesus, I pray that we would live a faith in that day, in that moment, in you. The four and 20 elders fall and put their crowns before the lamb. Let us do the same. And let us hold on. Let us change the atmosphere of heaven with our, our painful cries and our faith-filled prayers, God. And I pray that we'll all find our way there and finish our race in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. It's a good summer, wasn't it? Studying the Bible. All the workers come forward. I'm heading back to the guest room. I apologize. I went over. I promise you next week I'll probably do the same. So I love you guys. God bless you. If you need prayer, altar workers are coming forward to pray for you. And, uh, man, don't leave here without feeling the comfort of God. Even though you're going through it now, you go through it a little bit better with other people. Jesus will comfort you through it. You mark the set, go. God bless you. See you soon.